Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Much I Know, the Seed Camp podcast with me, your host, Carlos Espinal, bringing you the inside story from founders, investors, and leading tech voices. Tune in to hear from the people who built businesses and products, scaled globally, failed fantastically, and learned massively. Welcome, everyone, to this new episode of Legal Hour with Tom and Carlos. And we have a very special guest, Anthony Rose, founder and CEO of Seed Legals. Welcome, Anthony. Hi, thank you. So as um, we've covered in previous episodes of Legal Hour, the focus of this show is really to capture the key elements that you need to focus on when starting a new company from a legal perspective. And with us, we have Tom Wilson. Tom, do you want to quickly introduce your background just so everybody knows who you are? Yeah, I mean, episodes, whichever episode this is, beyond episode two, uh, hopefully some people have joined this this already. But yeah, no, my my background before, so I've been six years at Seedcamp working with Carlos, but before that I actually qualified as as a lawyer. So definitely the the kind of legal elements of of companies which which come across Seedcamp and and over the years, even in my my previous life, have have worked on a number of like venture transactions and, and the like. So bringing some of that knowledge, dusting off some of that knowledge from the old law books uh, um, for this podcast and this series. And excited to be here to, to chat with Anthony today on some interesting topics. Well, with that introduction, I wanted to kick off with the foundation for what we want to chat about, because obviously we're going to get into seed legals and what you guys offer for companies, especially just kicking off. But Tom, maybe before we cover what seed legals offers, what are the top five steps you recommend a company to do when they're getting started? You know, two, two, three people just came together. They have this fabulous idea. What do you recommend? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. It's a, it's a big question to, to kick things off. But the, I mean, I think, you know, a lot, of, a lot of these ideas and, you know, companies that we meet at Seacamp or, you know, they start, they all, they all start somewhere. And often they start before there's necessarily like a very, Kind of strict like legal entity and legal structure around these these um these effectively just people getting together to exchange ideas and it's at that point you know sometimes they meet as part of events or as part of conferences or hackathons or, or whatever it is and your know, people are kind of collaborating or doing things kind of part-time aside from their like day job and one of the things that we're, we're we recommend or i'd say recommend is, is a step on that kind of journey to making it more legally sound is is when there's something there which you think is going to turn into a business. We, there's actually we we put this together on, on Seed Summit, which is a, it's a good resource, and I know that there's a similar thing I think on Seed Legals, which John Anthony can go into. Is this idea of at least getting something down on paper, and we've previously called it I think a founder collaboration agreement or something that it's almost a formalization of the back of the napkin, um, like jot down, which people used to do in in a, in a restaurant or a bar or a cafe or something when they're thinking of an idea, and the idea behind that is. It's kind of a quasi-legal agreement which sets out kind of who owns what in the company, which is a big kind of thing for founders to think about. But at least it gets something down there so that it's a precursor for before there is like an actual legal entity or something incorporated. So I'd say check out that as like a founder collaboration agreement, get something down in, in, in writing and paper so you've got a bit of a structure. Then as part of that, one of the big things which has to be considered in thought very very carefully about is this idea of how are you going to technically split this equity so if there's a couple if there's two founders if there's three founders there's four founders i think if it goes above four founders as investors sometimes our <laughs> our, our alarm starts to our alarm bells start to ring because it, it 
the, the larger the number, sometimes it can get challenging. But, you know, in an ideal world, often it's an equal split. Sometimes there might be a split which makes more sense in some kind of different way for, for various reasons. But that's something which is incredibly important to get up front and, and get some kind of agreement around. And again, it doesn't need to be at this point kind of even technically issuing shares and doing doing all of the the, the, the legal elements of that necessarily. But you could have that at least down in writing. So there's something to refer to. So probably those those two things are, are, are key to kind of consider. And then you probably get towards the more, as soon as things start to actually take shape and there's more of a definite agreement here that you're you're pursuing this as a as a business and you you know you're gonna go off and spend more time on it, maybe quit your jobs and stuff. You want to get this entity incorporated. You want to set up this company. Um, and then you know with that, there's you know various steps which someone can go on to, to set up a company and, and you know there's forms which need to be filled at company's house and the likes. There's you know, a few other things which has to be considered as part of that, such as you've got this equity split, so you would, you know, potentially use that as a guide, but you have to think about the number of shares in that company. You know, it's a, it's a, we're talking about UK here. In one of the previous episodes, I think it was episode two, we talked about some of the areas and things to consider about different jurisdictions and, and where you're based, but UK company, incorporate that company, have those shares, um, issued ideally quite a high number of shares uh, it, it's something that can be dealt with in the future but in a, in a perfect world you'd have a high number so you can do smaller kind of uh, allocations um, as the company grows so you know a, a million rather than 10 for instance but that's that's another thing to consider um, and then I think that's free and if there was two more and I'm probably going to miss a million um, but it, I, I think that you basically at this point once the company's there you want to make sure that everything all of the good stuff that the company produces is in the name of the company. So you want to make sure that the IP is, so the intellectual property, sorry, is, is resting in the company. So that's the entity which has the value and it's not individually held by one person. So that when you raise money and when you eventually sell and exit the company for you know, billions of dollars in, 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 in a short period of time, then you've, you've made sure that that value is sitting within there. So ensuring that if nothing's happened before that, it's no problem. But if there is any kind of IP which rests elsewhere, you can assign it all in. Um, and then finally, a, like a more superficial one, which I was just thinking about before is, and something that we see a lot at Seed Camp in, in terms of things which people have to change, which it's set up, is the name of the company. Um, and making sure that, you know, when you're setting up this company and you've got this fantastic name, that you've done at least a few searches of um, some of the public registers to make sure that someone else doesn't own it. Because the amount of times we've had to see companies change their name, because when they get a little bit larger and a little bit more high profile, someone comes out of the woodwork and goes, "Oh well, you know, we have the rights to that name." Um, so that's another thing for you to consider. So they're my five, I think: founders collaboration agreement, equity split, uh, further along, incorporating the company, figuring out the shares, figuring out the share split, IP, getting making sure that that's all all in, in place and anything which is out there is is coming forward. And then, um, yeah, names. Consider, consider another thing about names. So that's a great kickoff, Tom. Thanks for that awesome list because that sets the groundwork for everything that became and is now helping people through Seed Legals. And this is a way transition to you, Anthony. Um, when we first met, you were before Seed Legals and you were you know, dealing with some of the technologies of a couple of other companies. And and I think you went off and thought about kind of probably the most painful thing founders have to deal with. And you said, you know what, I'm going to try to tackle that. Uh, and 
you know, you came to us with this idea of like a platform that would revolutionize um, how not only legals are managed for founders, but how deals are done. And then not only that, enabling investors to be also more easily um, interfacing with founders through this and then reducing some of that anxiety that can sometimes happen during this. And so that's when, when we met and you told me about it and I was like, you know what, we should, we should definitely back you on this. And, and that's how the journey started. But I would love to hear it from your point of view. Tell us a little bit about your background prior to Seed Legals and then just walk us through to today. Okay. And then I've got one more item to add to Tom's list. So, um, uh, you know, I used to head up, uh, actually, I used to be at Kazaar years ago, the music file sharing company. That was my first take in a space being disrupted. Uh, people were no longer buying CDs. They were downloading on the internet and then later on streaming on the internet. And what would an industry being disrupted do in that state? And then later on, I uh, was hired by the BBC, headed up BBC iPlayer. After the BBC, I built a startup in social TV, and that was my second play in the disruptive space between that and iPlayer now in video. Um, and uh, after I sold the company, built another company, sold the company, invested in a few, got bored of uh, paying lawyers, and then met my business partner, Laurent Lafie, genius XVC and serial angel investor. And he said, you know, we should get together and uh, uh and, and change that. So we uh, we built Seed Legals, and that was about three and a half years ago. We launched about three years ago. We're about 55 people now. Uh, we think uh, something like one in 12 of all early stage investments in the UK now goes through Seed Legals. Maybe one in four of all option schemes, uh, one in seven or so of all SEIS applications, and so on. And we're now in uh, live in France and in Ireland as well. So when we started. My thought was it was all about legal, solving legal problems for companies. But I've realized actually the, the legals is just the solution to a problem. The problem people have, no one's actually looking for it. No one wakes up in the morning and goes, I need a contract. You know, I need a legal document. They go, I want to do X with party Y. And uh, so what I've realized is actually the platform is all ultimately about empowerment trust and data so i want to you know maybe i want some investment from seed camp and uh what i want is i want my company in good shape so when i go and talk to you you don't go dude it's a mess go away you're uninvestable you go this is amazing you've got all the ducks in a row you know i'm in and then after that you want uh to be able to see what is market standard so that you and your team and your investors can all get to market standard. And I think one of the key mistakes many times founders make, some just get it and some will call us and say, I, I'm looking for really bespoke documents. No, no, it's very special. The founders are going to have like three votes per share and the investors none. And then I explain that for an investor, it's like, going on holiday and having a rental car. So you get out the airport and you jump into the rental car. And if Saab or somebody has moved all the controls into the different place, the pedal's not where you want and the key goes under the seat. It's a nightmare. As an investor, you want things to be as self-similar as before. So what we do is we use data over you know thousands now of funding rounds and tens, hundreds of thousands of uh, contracts to show people what others normally do so that founders can, who don't have the knowledge. So if you think about it in the past, you go to a law firm and every deal was an island not connected with any other. 
But imagine now you understand the underlying deal terms and you can use that to guide everyone to get to what is most likely to be the case. Because every startup idea is unique, or you hope it is, but every funding round and every company is, is actually remarkably self-similar. So, so that, that's the, uh, the seed legal story. Now, the extra one I would add to Tom's list, if I might, is share vesting. So, you know, you'll hear the word data a lot, and we love data. And uh, again, over many thousands of uh, documents, we can see what people do. And we can see maybe about 10% of the time, uh, founders split up. So you meet in the pub, you have an idea, you get together, uh, you do that founder agreement. Um, which assigns the intellectual property to the company. Um, and then sometime later, someone has to pay their rent or the, you can't agree on the idea or it takes longer and you split up. And uh, if you don't have founder share vesting contractually in place, you have a bun fight where somebody goes, no, no, I want you to buy out my shares. Well, we can't, we've got no money. Or I want to keep my shares. And then the nice people at Seed Camp will go, no, we're not investing in a company where someone who's you know, having a fight with you owns half the, uh, the shares. So what share vesting does says, if I leave any time, typically in the first three years, I have to give back some fraction of my shares. And if I can dive into that a bit further, then uh, you can generally that falls into three patterns. One of them is it's called three-year straight line vesting. So there, the shares you get are kind of proportional to the amount of effort and time you put in the company. So if you leave after a month, you keep one out of 36 of your shares. Um, and you might think of that as in lieu of salary. But the other way, and something that Seedcamp and other investors will want, is the high stakes game of poker, which is if you leave in the first year, you get nothing. And that means that the founders, you know, it's either going to be together for the journey or you need to split up now. But what you don't want is someone exiting, you know, a few months and going, oh, I'm kind of bored. I'm going to keep my small share of the company now worth some tens, maybe later hundreds of thousands of pounds for, for hanging around for the first few weeks. So, uh, so the share vesting is uh, super important, I think, to add to the mix. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think that's a, a, a really key, 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 key term, the, the, the vesting schedule. I actually wrote a blog post called, um, Best, was it Bulletproof Vest? How one clause can save your startup's life. I was very, exactly. pleased, very pleased with that title. And I think that actually, you know, you, you, you touch upon the, um, the point around, it's an important thing for investors, but I think also in, in that story, it's, it's highlighted that, and the conversations, that, you know, we, we walk loads, lots of founders through this clause and, and why it's important. And so I think it's, it's, that's, I think, something that an investor should, should be able to do really, really clearly. They should be able to talk through every single clause in a clause sheet, in a term sheet, and, and explain why it's important for them and also potentially the implications for, for the founders. And the way I often describe it is, yes, obviously, it protects our investment and the cliff element does give us at least one year where hopefully this whole team stays together because we've invested in this team and that's investor protection. But it's equally a super important clause to protect founders from each other. <laughs> so from one founder leaving and and then them being kind of resentful for the fact that if there isn't vesting, they've still got all of this equity and they're, they're doing all the work. And, and also if they leave and they need someone to re replace them, then there's not enough equity to go around. So it's 
it's hopefully a, a I always kind of picture in and when I try to describe it as a clause which kind of it benefits both sides. I think if I can hop in quickly, the you know when you start, as you said, you meet in the pub or you meet on a Zoom call, and uh, and you have this idea, and at some point you need to have the difficult conversation: who's got how many shares in the business, um, whose title is CEO, um, you know, what are your responsibilities? Are you going to get paid anything, uh, and so on? And it's better to have those difficult conversations up front because when the company's worth nothing and you haven't invested much personal effort, if it doesn't, if you, if it, you know, if you don't get the terms you like, then then you just move on. And also, it's fairly non-contentious. But when it comes to if you haven't done that and it now comes to your first funding round or times have moved along and you think the company's worth a million pounds, suddenly those few percent equity points start adding up and people's behavior changes from we're just friends to I'm going to call a lawyer and, you know, maximize the personal bit and then everything gets really ugly. So having the difficult conversation really up front makes everything super clear afterwards and avoids uh, what, you know. So actually, you know, I came to this realization when I uh, was sent a slide deck by some three students a few years ago uh, to get some feedback on their slide deck. And I wrote back to them going, your slide deck isn't that great, but I love the concept. I'm going to invest. So I invested. And then I said, before I do that, I'm going to create all the legals for your uh, company. Um, we're not going to pay a lawyer. That's insane. It's only a 20K investment. Um, but then because I was uh, creating the legals and the investor and knowledgeable in the space, I figured, well, I'm kind of judge, jury, and execution. That's not really fair. So I'm going to get on a call with them and go through everything. And uh, and I realized a couple of things. One, I didn't know very much. <laughs> Two, um, I thought they would be completely bored by all this uh, funding legalese. It turned out they were lapping it up. They loved it. They were dived into things. I was busy Googling on the site. What on earth does this mean? Um, but importantly, I insisted on, preem- on, on uh, the founders having vesting. And uh, lo and behold, a year later, Two of them got bored, the marketing guys, the product was taking longer, they left. But because vesting was in place, they could leave as good friends, they returned two-thirds of their shares, we could then hire someone else and give them some shares, and actually it was really good as opposed to it being a big bonfire. So, vesting. Well, what's good about hearing you guys chat about these points, which are, are things that only experience generates and, and therefore we share this with, with the broader community, it's that this is in effect knowledge, right? At the end of the day, it's accumulated knowledge and experience. And I believe that whenever you can share knowledge with somebody is when you can start having the foundation for trust. And I loved how you put it, Anthony, empowerment, trust, and data are the things that make up seed legals. So I was thinking that actually that might be a good structure to go through and walk through all the things that you guys do within that framework. What is empowerment? What's trust? And what's data? And I wanted to start off with maybe qualifying what seed legals is not. So I know that there's a lot of things you guys do. What is it that you are not? Like if we were to have to be very explicit, what do you, what do you require somebody else? What do you encourage founders to have as an, as, as a supplemental to you? Because that is not your focus. 
we don't find the investors, but you t- we take care of everything else. No, I mean, jokes aside, our goal is to be the operating system of your company. We want to be a platform that you can go to to build your business around legals and increasingly around talent and the, some of the accounting pieces as well. So a one-stop platform that instead of going to people who charge you a lot per hour um, to reduce things to standardized patterns based on data and something that's a 24-7 platform you can go to. Now, we think that as the founder, you don't need to use a law firm. We give you the guidance advice. We give you people as well. Our model, I like to think about what would a law firm do and then do completely the opposite. So there's unlimited help and support on web chat, on Zoom. Our median response time is a minute 48 seconds. Um, And our goal is to use technology to put ourselves out of business. So the third time someone asks us a question, we'll write an article. And then the web chat intercom system will start recommending the article um, so that we can reduce our own time but offer you know, unlimited help and support. So we started off with all about funding round legals. Um, and you know, if you think about the UK, there are probably about 15,000 uh, new growth startups a year. There are about 50,000 sort of SME, slightly more steady states. There are about two or three hundred, uh, sorry, several hundred thousand uh, SMEs. And then there are like a million, uh, several million companies. And so our goal is start laser focused uh, and then expand to SMEs. And that's exactly what we're doing now. So I don't want to uh, you know, constrain myself too much, but, uh, but I think the goal is that for the underpinnings legal talent increasingly and accounting that let you uh, cover everything of your company's life cycle, you know, I'd like us to provide that destination. I think, by the way, a couple of other things, which is, you know, TransferWise gives you borderless banking. Imagine borderless legals. You know, as an investor, it's really difficult to invest in another country or as a founder to get investors from another country. Imagine if you can have an interface that, you know, whether you're French or British or other company, uh, you have the same uh, plain English. If you want, if English is your language, questions: Would you like a director seat? Would you like preemption? Would you like this? And then the platform magically builds stuff in the local language, and suddenly this localized legals now becomes a global set of variables. Um, so that's that's uh, the global piece, uh, and also I think as we now have hundreds of thousands of uh, what we call quick agreements, founder agreements, employment agreements, consulting agreements. We now have data to start showing you maybe what CTOs are paid in general uh, or what vesting terms people have. So can we provide a platform to start using that data to help companies make those kind of hiring decisions and so on as well? So that'll be quite fascinating as the next step. Cool. And I, I, do, I totally didn't answer your question. Sorry about that. <laughs> you sort of, sort of did, sort of did. Tom, did you want to say something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, operating system for your company—it's such a powerful vision. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad to see company investors. I mean, that's that one thing I want to say. Uh, it sounds super exciting hearing all that kind of played out. And I think, I suppose, you know, also, I suppose, with there's probably a, a number of my ex-colleagues who might be listening to this and thinking, you know the end of lawyers so we're not going to have it not going to have a job anymore and things like that and do you see any kind of situation where it's hard at the moment for the seed legals when you know when some of those we've seen for instance actually we've got a company at the moment which is you know it's a, a later stage round there's 
lawyers at all angles. You know, the, the and you know the invest the lead investor will have a set of lawyers. The co-invest two sets of co-investors each have sets of lawyers. The company then has all of these different lawyers, super high powered. You know, all all the big names and all that kind of stuff coming at them from all these angles. And do you see a point at those kind of stages where but now there's still a need for that company to have its own set of quite kind of high-powered lawyers so they can almost, you know, keep keep their corner and back their corner? Or, or, or do you think that now seed legals can, can be that piece as well at this point? So that's certainly our aspiration, but we're not there yet. And here's why. So I think a couple of things. Firstly, uh, today, the process of negotiating commercials is often done through legal contracts. So let's say, you know, we weren't using seed legals and then you would send me a term sheet or a shareholders agreement and I would have to read through 200 pages of legalese to find out what you really want. So my goal is to transform that. So there'll be a checklist in plain English. You want preemption, you want drag along, you want these investor consent rights. And then the platform, you should be able to trust that, you know, after peer review by literally thousands of lawyers and investors, it will reliably produce the legals that match that in, you know, any language and so on. So thing one is, can I remove the need for a lawyer to try and extract the meaning? Because we show you the meaning, we start with the meaning. The second reason for a lawyer is to uh, maybe help you negotiate and so on on your side. So, or to tell you what's reasonable and what's not. So my investor wants anti-dilution. I can't do that. I can't live like this. It will bankrupt me. It's like, chill, all right. N percent of rounds have that in this state. So often, I think the lawyer there is to help explain, and our goal is to help explain. The lawyer is maybe to help you negotiate, and we do that. But I think also we provide the data to help on that. And then I think separately the lawyer is to uh, help on things outside of that. So, of course, you know, we don't cover all things. It's about you know, funding and, and a range of things, but, you know, their disputes and their tax and there are all sorts of other things that are not our goal. Uh, the wonderful thing in the UK is there are several six reserved areas that only law firms can do. And there are a wide range of other things where you don't need to be a law firm. So we actually have freedom to operate and it's the joy of the, you know, English legal system. Um, when it gets to later stage rounds, and uh, let me turn it the other way around, you know, if you're raising 100K, things are remarkably standardized, particularly in the UK, where the vast majority of the early stage investment is SEIS or EIS tax incentives for investors. And there, the investors need to get ordinary shares that takes out a vast swathe of game playing around preference shares and and all sorts of other shit that, that uh, you know, can, can have the uh, investors diddle the founders. So things become remarkably standardized, and that's exactly where we come in. When it gets to later stage rounds, there's often a more of a legacy and so on. But here's what's changing a couple of things. Firstly, companies that have grown up on seed legals, I mean, if I take a seven-year view, companies raising will have grown up and have known no other way. And the first time someone says, can I send you a red line Word doc? You know, the founder goes, 
dude, what planet are you from? I haven't seen one of those before. I just go on this platform at midnight and type some stuff and, and, and add you and then you sign and we're done. <laughs> what just happened here? So we see a lot of uh, loyalty from customers who, who want to use us and actually begin to structure their deals that way, which I'll get to in a second. And the second thing is, so yes, I know there's in a sense the sort of glass ceiling when you get to big rounds, investors go, this is uh, Bob, he's our legal counsel, he's been doing this since 1950 and that's the way we do things here. Um, and my goal there is uh, how can I break that? So I can go the full frontal offensive or I can try guerrilla warfare. And the guerrilla warfare, my first foray is our uh, deal manager for investors. So I want to make it super easy for an investor to use Seed Legals to send their term sheet. And then you can hop on, this comes out in the next week or so. I was just having a play with yesterday with the team. And as an investor, you can send out your investment proposal, the founder receives it, and you now have an elegant deal term comparator that shows, oh, you want that and I want this. And it becomes sort of selecting the boxes. So my, my goal is, you know, I, late on a Friday, Tom, when you've got to get your next term sheet out, and instead of fussing around in Word or whatever it is, you go, ah, I'm just going to try the seed legal. So let me push these buttons and send out. It, it remembered my last deal. Awesome. Let me just do that again. And now I've got you hooked. So, so there's my. Hey, Anthony, I just, on, I, on, I just gave my strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah don't worry about it. It's, <laughs> it's so ambitious. I think nobody's going to be able to catch up on that one anyway. But I think one of the things that you mentioned, Anthony, uh, about pushing buttons is that, you know, you have a lot of data about um, what pushes buttons for investors and for founders. And I'd love to dig into some of that data because, as you mentioned, empowerment, trust, and data, data allows people to understand and feel empowered. So it's like a, it's a virtuous circle. I like how you've described it. Maybe walk us through some interesting fun facts from the data that you've, I know you're constantly publishing blog posts with like some of their discoveries, but maybe just in light of, you know, what, what we're seeing in 2020 and all the sort of challenges that we've had, what are some interesting facts? Like maybe uh, what's the typical founder yeah. ownership stake at uh, a series A or uh the what what constitutes a, a toxic cap table or valuations just anything i mean you know okay, pick from what, what you have of menus of, of data okay so here's a fun story where we use data to actually build a new product which has changed everything so what we uh, you know the most common question at a funding round stage is what's my valuation and uh, how much equity should i sell um so you know we see Occasionally, people coming up insanely wanting to sell 40% of their business, you know, to 30K for, to a friend. It's like, do not do this. You are dead. No one will invest in you afterwards. So we started getting tired, like all things, of telling people the same thing. So we thought we should write an article. And then we had data. And what we found is people selling a median of 15% equity in a round. So, uh, you know, there are many ways, and maybe there's another uh, article on, you know, how to value your company. So uh, there are many ways. One, you can read TechCrunch and take a zero off the end because those are insane American valuations. Or two, you can use a spreadsheet to estimate your future revenue which is bullshit and most investors know that because you just go after year three, I'm doing 27 million a year in revenue. You're probably not. Um, or what we noticed is um, essentially people, because you are selling a median of 15% equity, you just multiply the amount you want to raise by five. So the investors get one in six of the total and you can then shape 
your ambition with the valuation so it all fits together. And astute investors see it matching the pattern. And why 15%? Well, I think, you know, exactly to your question, I think it's fascinating. So to me, the goal of, your, uh, of the founder is to have uh, maybe three funding rounds over the life of the company, after which it's either profitable and growing and doesn't need to raise again, or it's ready to be acquired and exit and everyone makes something nice out of it. And if you take 15% dilution times three times, so it's 0.85 to the power of three, and maybe you take a 10% option pool in there as well, then the founders are left with a little over 50% equity at the end of it. So if you think of it in, you know, maybe my analogy is ripples in a pond couple of founders get together. My data suggests two is the most common number of founders, followed by one and then three. And as Tom says, you know, four onwards, it, it, it gets, uh, you know, it's a crowd. But it's uh, the, the, the life cycle of a company is like dropping a stone into the pond. And the first ripple is the founders, our data, suggests put a median of 26,000 pounds of their own money into the business. Why? Because no one invests on a PowerPoint. You have to build something. Ideas are cheap and execution's expensive. So founders put their own money in. And then your goal is over three ripples where your sphere of influence increases and perhaps as the founder, your individual input diminishes. Over three ripples, your goal is to build a company that's either steady state or ready for exit. So actually my goal first was to show people what to do. But then I saw in my data that people were not just selling a median of 15% equity, there were these micro rounds happening, 2 3% equity. And what I discovered is people were using seed legals to um, do these little rounds because they could. In the past, it's been so slow and expensive using a law firm to do a funding round that they began to fit these 12 to 18 month patterns that 18 months, you know, go big or go bust. So you raise enough to last all this period because it takes you three months to find investors, then three months to close a the deal. Then you have to show traction for six months before you can raise more. And you need another three months cash in bank because you can't be trading insolvent. So this is hugely stressful on the founder. I've been there and done that. So what we began to do is to go, well, actually people are using us because they can on a Sunday night, log in and doing a little round. Maybe we can turn this into a thing. So I wrote an article on agile fundraising and we created two products. One of them, well, we productized two existing things. One of them is an, an advanced subscription agreement, very commonly known in the US as a safe. Uh, and SeedCamp has gotten a, you know, a, a sample of that. We call it a seed fast, which is for raising ahead of a round. And then we have uh, a rolling close round. So we kept having people coming to us going, I'm looking to raise 500K, particularly now, you know, in lockdown, when some investors are bailing. Um, I want to raise 500K. I've got 300 lined up. What should I do? Um, do I wait or do I close a smaller round? And we said, well, why don't we just make, by default, the round of a rolling close so you can top up later? And we call that instant investment. So when I said that 15% median equity sell in a round, that was so 2018. What we saw is in 2019, when we started publicizing this and making this a one-click option, 
we change everything. And there's more money now raised on seed legals outside of the funding round than in the funding round. And I, I am actually, I'm really proud of that because um, I think as a, as a startup and as a founder, maybe what you do falls into two goals. And maybe it's actually uh, important you don't get ahead of yourself at the beginning. So at the beginning, my goal was, uh, our goal was just to be a utility. There's no blockchain, smart contracts, you know, marketplace. I just want to be better than another way of doing things. It's kind of boring, but if I can do that, then I can get to the next step. And the next step is actually success is not to do your funding round. It's to help you not do a funding round, maybe. So can I now leverage network and data and other things to actually transform the space so the things that everyone thought they wanted to do actually maybe realize you only did that because there's not another way of doing it. Now, of mm. course, as an investor, you might have the opposite view. You might go, actually, I really want people to do a funding round because I really want them to be dead if they're not performing, not sit in a zombie state. So there is yeah. an existential discussion on that. Well, I mean, I think, I think, Anthony, first of all, I love how you articulate the vision and, and, and you're definitely approaching it from a, uh, how can I solve this problem product mindset? And I can, when I hear you talk, I hear somebody who's built, many years of, of code and many and like thinking it from a, a, a developer's point of view, how do I solve this problem? And, and what's interesting about it is that, um, you know, as you're very succinct with, with the, the examples that you've given, you know, there's a lot of historical data that leads to that median outcome. And so, you know, what I, what I look forward to seeing in, in your future reports is sort of that data over a period of time, because here's the thing I've seen how ecosystems shift and the ownership stakes shift depending on the risk profile of the macroeconomic uh, conditions. So I think, you know, the, what, what I'll be interesting to see is like fast forward uh, five years from now to see your data tracking over a period of time, because I suspect that what I'll see is I won't see a steady state 15. What I might see if like, if shit hits the fan in, in 2020, 21, the virus goes again, we have another, like, you know, you could, I, I would suspect that what we'd see is an increase from 15 to 20, not because, anybody's being nefarious just because the risk profile of startups sure. relative to other asset classes would change. But then I would suspect that if we, you know, had another bull run for another 20 years, we'd, we'd probably end up at five. Right. And so I, I look forward to seeing that product mindset applied to sort of a, a tracking mechanism that, that you guys will showcase because, you know, for founders listening to this, it's always changing, you know, it's, it's always changing. And, and I think what's really cool about how you built it is you're going to be tracking some of that, but, Maybe to, um, maybe to conclude with some of the, the things that you guys are doing, I'd be interested to hear um, a little bit about some of these points that you mentioned about the vision of, of seed legals and, and maybe moving away a little bit from what you're going to productize um, to what you are doing today in terms of, of handholding uh, founders and, and sort of managing through typical situations that might be tricky. So for example, toxic cap tables. How do you help somebody manage uh, when they approach your platform and you already know based on your data that they're probably not going to be uh, not going to be well off it, according to the data in terms of their next round. How do you help them ma manage that so that you don't necessarily push them away, but you at the same time are helping them through that journey? That's a big challenge, right? So, you know, you, our goal is to be awesome to people and help them on the next step. And then the problem occurs, what happens when they 
perhaps can't be helped and I don't know what the solution is when there's a toxic cap table. So you arrive and, uh, you know, the companies, uh, the, the founders uh, have got, uh, you know, 60% of the shares between them. They've only raised 50K so far. Um, there aren't many options other than, well, I think the options are one, go to your existing investors and persuade them that uh, you just didn't know what you're doing at the time and can we rethink this and you know if it was your father who was the investor you can probably have that conversation if it's some uh, you know sharp investor who took advantage of that it's going to be a hard conversation to have you can also try the legal approach which is dilute the hell out of them but then you should expect a legal confrontation about that you could also bail and just start a new company um, but uh, then that shafting your last investors, which, you know, is something, you know, you generally want to be nice to investors because you want them later and people talk to each other and it's a small world. And I would, you know, one of the key things we also have, um, interestingly, when you start a business, you know, if you're a tech guy like me, it's all about solving technical problems. And then one day you find yourself thrust, as they would say, yes, Prime Minister, into the moral dimension. And you suddenly have this, you know, do no evil thing where, you know, it's not like we're at that huge a scale. But now we have to think about when we introduce uh, features or terms into documents, by putting in there, people will select that as an option. So if I put eight-year vesting as an option because someone wants it, people go, oh, yeah, eight-year vesting. There is it on CB. Let's tick the eight-year button. So my, uh, my challenge is I don't think there is a good answer for the toxic cap table that I've come across other than there is a difficult discussion to be had or you need to ditch this business and start a new one um, or – you might consider some more sophisticated things like creating an option pool with your investors' consent to give options to the founders based maybe on hitting certain performance milestones. But that comes with tax things uh, you know, around it as well. So life gets complicated. So maybe my goal is like the doctor to yeah. help you stay well, not, not need surgery afterwards. And, and I think what, what – sorry, Tommy, you are going to say something? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really interesting kind of line that that the company now that you're reaching scale and now that you know the the, the number of number of startups which you're touching is 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 so significant. That I mean, it's it's really really interesting. And I mean, the the line I suppose is between this creating so many more innovative tools for financing and then not overcomplicating the process for founders so that they can't necessarily choose between those tools. And one of the kind of analogies that I think about when thinking about kind of this, and and I think maybe back from my legal days or from spending time with lawyers or whatever, is this idea of, you know, you give someone too much rope and they can kind of hang themselves. And so how, how do you, how do you sometimes, how do you find the line there? And, and is that something that you have to think about quite a lot when you're, when you're creating this kind of menu of choices for founders? Absolutely. And that was one of the first key problems. So my business partner, Laurent, genius, analyzed hundreds of funding rounds himself over six months before we met. And he gave me this 49,000 line spreadsheet um, and reduced every funding round he'd seen into a range of options. But there were far too many options. Um, and so I said, this is amazing, you know, but the two problems, one, I can never build it. And two, even if I did, no one would ever be able to use it. So if I reduce everything to like eight things you can choose, that's amazing. But the problem is there'd be far too many rounds that it just wouldn't fit. 
On the flip side, if I made everything freeform text changing, you can do anything, but then you have to go back to a lawyer again. So for me, actually intentional constraints is, uh, is the goal. And so sometimes people go, well, you know, on seed legals, there was some option, you know, I, I, I couldn't set, or how do I change this? Why don't you let me do freeform text edits? And actually, we don't let you do freeform text edits on seed legals, um, partly because we haven't got around to it, but mostly because we've realized 90% of the time people ask us for that. We say, oh, please tell us what you intended. And 90% of the time, it's either bad law, uh, just plain wrong to do, or can be accomplished in a different way. So what's quite interesting is I've learned, you know, and it's exactly the same as your CTO will often tell you, um, you know, don't tell me how to do it, tell me what you want. And so often, you know, someone might say, I would like to, I can't think of a term offhand. I want to do this for my investor. I want to give them this right. I want to, my investor would like to be able to get his money back in, in two years and, and sell his shares again. And so can I add that term to the document? Well, no, because it's a disaster. Firstly, if they've got SEIS or EIS, they're going to lose that as soon as HMRC it. So it's a, HMRC see it, so it's a disaster. Secondly, by putting the right for them to sell their shares to the company, you're uninvestable because your next investors are going to see their money go straight back to the previous guy not to grow your business. And if you don't have the money, you're going to be bankrupted. So don't do that. So, so yes, the, the short answer to your question is my challenge is to build a system based on, I think, a vision and also what our customers want on a daily basis and then to figure out um, – if somebody wants something, is that for benefit for all? Oh, it's a general edition. We should add this for the benefit of everyone. Or is it actually, yeah, we agree, you should, it's fine. You want it, knock yourself out. We'll figure out how to do it, but we won't make it available for everyone. Or three, actually, this is a bad thing to do. We have to work really hard to dissuade you from doing that because it's going to be bad for you. You just didn't realize today why it is. And our goal is to show you why three chess moves ahead, the thing, this move will be toxic. You know, I love that vision, Anthony. And, and it reminds me of this MIT article that I, I read um, talking about the jobs that artificial intelligence will create. And the more I hear about your vision, the more I see a future where Seed Legals is in effect a sort of an AI platform for, as you said, you called an OS system. It could be, you know, like an AI platform for managing a lot of the back end of, of a business. And, and in that article, the MIT article, what it talks about is the role of humans isn't eliminated. Rather, the role of humans is shifted to, to discerning, making, to help make decisions or to monitor the moral compass of the system, if you will. Because I think that intrinsically, that's something that's very hard for machines to, to gauge within the human society. I mean, if a machine needs to gauge itself within other machines, that's fine because it can monitor based on uh, quantitative aspects. But in, quali in a qualitative world with relationships being as messy as they are, maybe the future of the law practice where seed legals dominates everything is literally to help manage the moral trade-offs and the commercial trade-offs of each of these platforms. I, I uh, love your thinking, and in fact, I'm tremendously proud that today, you know, we machine generate really complicated documents based on inputs. So we ask you a whole bunch of questions, and then we generate the docs. I love it. But I'm also 
think it's like it's total fail. Why do I have to ask you all these questions? Wouldn't it be better if the next step I asked you, what's your, what's your website URL? And I would spider your website and figure out what you did. And I'd ask you a few questions about your business. And then I'd say, who are your investors? Ah, you got Seedcamp, you got Index, you've got your father, whatever it is. Great, thanks. We'll build the perfect deal for those. Um, and so, you know, maybe there's a project one day, not going to get ahead of myself, where today it's really all about human intelligence. We try to encode the things that you know, lawyers have been putting and developed for decades in a you know, plain English form. But the next step after that is to have the computer start suggesting that for you. Uh, and I think that'll be quite fun. So maybe it will start with a fun, you know, hackathon project and see if there's any value from it. Uh, and actually, we're beginning to start that where what we found is when people do rounds on seed legals, um, we will review their round for them. And when we do that, we'll often find either mistakes they've made or things they could do better like hey you haven't turned on vesting or your price per share is too high you should do a share split so in the spirit of using technology to put ourselves out of business we are now building and about to ship an automated funding round checking tool that then starts to give you these little bits of hints or warnings or advice based on what's in the round. So if your price per share is too high, it will go, would you like to do a share split, which you can do in about three minutes, or you know, you, you're raising more than 300K investors would normally expect to see this deal term. And, uh, and I think that will start becoming the you know, low touch entry point to that uh, you know, AI system that one day maybe it will just say, accept suggestions and then accept redo suggestions. it. <laughs> Well, so, and then you'll go. I, I look, I look hey. forward to this future, Anthony. I, I don't know if it's a dystopian future or a utopian future, but I love it either way. And well, um, Carlos will also have his own AI assistant, <laughs> and then you know it, it won't be my lawyer arguing your lawyer; it will be my bot arguing your bot. Our, our <laughs> avatars, <laughs> our avatars. Well, um, Anthony, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you uh, in this episode of Legal Hour. We've covered so much ground. And actually, what you left us thinking is a, a lot about the, the, the philosophy about how to build a system and how to, how to evolve it. And I think for any founder that's listening to this, you'll also, I will note how well Anthony expresses the vision of his company. And I think that's also worth mentioning how good he is at articulating this and sort of really inspiring listeners around what, what he's got in mind. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Anthony. I really enjoyed this chat. Again, thanks, Tom, for, for your input as well. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.